Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Radcast. This month we're going to be exploring a subspecialty that perhaps more than any other puts the clinical in clinical radiology and that's cardiothoracic imaging. And we have a great ambassador for the occasion in Dr Monica Radica who's a consultant cardiothoracic radiologist at the Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital. So thank you for joining us Monica. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here on this great and growing podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we're also um, hoping that this episode is going to have um, a bit of a continental feel because Monica has worked in many leading centres across Europe. So it'd be good to hear her experiences about that as well. Um, so yeah, um, Monica, would you just like to tell the list- listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I'm a cardiothoracic radiologist uh, with um, a bit of academic feel as well. I've been uh, working as a consultant in Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital for now seven years, I think it will make in January, just in a couple of weeks. So uh, yes, it feels very short, (laughs) but time passes very quickly. And um, yes, I'm trained in in both cardiac and, and chest imaging. And indeed, I have trained in in different places and in the continent and beyond that. Great. So you are a cardiothoracic radiologist, but um, would you say you're more on the cardiac side or the thoracic side? Or is that sort of, are you not allowed to say that? <laughs> uh, no, I think we are allowed, but uh, probably you'll get a different answer asking every, every cardiothoracic radiologist. I think there is a, an interesting, um, it's not a division, it's just two pathways of, of thinking. There is one that um, there is a trend to subspecialize to a very narrow niche. Uh, let's see, one coronary artery. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of an overcall, but, but you know, um, especially when following an academic pathway. However, what I find quite interesting, especially at this time uh, of, of my career, is that doing two things and enjoying immensely the two things uh, gives a benefit to the patients. It's, it's kind of a creative process. You can dive into a cardiac list of a of a modality one day then you can just dive into and rest from the previous day in a chest list Mm. and it gives this this horizon view as well and sometimes we uh we have solutions to problems from this view um that maybe when you're in a niche in a very narrow niche and you say i only do cardiac maybe can't see outside outside your bubble so i think it's I, I like both approaches very much, and um, it would be hard to choose, but I think it's it's probably the part of um, beauty in radiology that you can sit back, see the big picture, or go for deep dives if you like all your life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so you're, yeah. you're basically uh, sitting on the fence like a, like a yeah. radiologist. Very yeah, ask me tomorrow, and I will answer another <laughs> thing. <laughs> so so where, did, where did the passion for cardiothoracic imaging develop? Well, frankly... Um, I started with an interest in chest first, and I liked it very much. And uh, if I'm being really honest, really early into radiology training, I did not expect cardiovascular imaging to be that fascinating. Mm. But luckily, when I had an opportunity to get involved more, I saw the beauty of this field. It's just the whole world opened up, and I also saw how my supervisors were enjoying it. Uh, so then I sit corrected um, and I thought, okay, this is great. <laughs> I quite mm-hmm. like it now. So it was early on. I think I was in year two when I discovered this. Right. I, I thought I would be chest right away. <laughs> right, right, right. 
so although you were originally drawn to chess, um, we did want to like um, speak a bit more about cardiac imaging mm-hmm. in this um, interview because it, it's it, to us outsiders, it does seem um, quite novel. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. Don't, we don't, yeah, we have no idea what's going on um, yeah. and we get very <laughs> ex- little exposure to it. So um, what types of cardiac imaging do you do? Um, so cross-sectional, mainly um, if you mm. include chest x-rays as well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget chest x-rays, the bedrock of radiology. Yeah, I can, yeah, you can assess the heart with limitations <laughs> on chest, <laughs> chest x-ray, but they're mainly cross-sectional, so CT and MRI. Yeah. Right, okay. Do you have a favourite? Uh, I like both very much, uh, but I think I'm leaning slightly towards cardiac MRI. Mm. Um Maybe it was it's because it's more challenging to learn at the at the beginning, and then you you start enjoying it very much. I, I like both. I think they they complement each other very much. But uh, there is a also meditation moment when you analyze all these things on cardiac MRI for a long time. Mm. So there is a, and you know the beauty of seeing the the tissue uh, characterize the uh, the tissue in detail, and it, it sometimes co- goes really close to histology, so you can mm. give the answers. Mm. It's it's really interesting. So, so what is it that you find challenging about cardiac imaging? Uh, I think um, go, uh, when training for that, the first baby steps can be, it's a steep learning curve. There is a lot to take in, um, a lot of about anatomy. It, we don't really, uh, in radiology training early on, we don't really get covered that, that easily. I think now it's changing in the training schemes with the new yeah. curriculum. But, uh, but it wasn't the case before. So I think that first wave of information that you get is quite a lot. And, uh, and you have to get your volume of cases to start you know, finding your feet. So I think that's uh, when, when starting out, it's, that's a challenging part. And uh, later on, I, it's just like any other field. Um, mm. Challenging cases, I guess, but then they are so interesting as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely can um, relate to that sort of um, that learning curve. It's so steep. Mm. And I think um, thinking back to my own time at the heart and chest when you were mm. supervising me, I think you probably supervised Jamie as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like, you have, it, it is really alien. Um, it's hard to really sort of get into it because you, it, it seems like the step from being a novice to actually knowing what, what you're doing is so great. And at that time, we only did, what, three weeks there? Um, that was our placement, or was mm-hmm. it three weeks or a month? So, um, yes. and I think that that's probably a reason that more radiologists don't go into it because you don't get enough exposures to get um, competent. And it's only as a fan head and neck when you get good at something that you start to enjoy it more. Yes, I think that's the case. And that's why I'm so happy about the change in the curriculum and the attention to this field. It mm. gives more. And I think now there are more opportunities. How has the curriculum changed? Uh, what are you going to say? I was just going to say that people always, you know, when you talk about like uh, patient facing specialties, people always talk about IR, obviously, and breast and then perhaps MSK. But cardiac is very patient facing as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we do get to chat to patients. We do get to administer medications, and there is a bit of uh, small talk, big talk. <laughs> I tend to talk about holidays with, <laughs> with patients because Keep it's a very right relaxing. relaxing. <laughs> yes, exactly. But so I, I have this trick of picking up, um, you know, uh, easy, easy topics to talk about. But then right. I, I, I experienced two different stories where it was the other way around. First, it was totally unexpected. One of the radiographers actually took up a football as a small talk, heart rate reducing topic. And I was just astonished. How, how is it going to work? It's worked. It was amazing. 
I don't know, maybe it was a game before. <laughs> it was mm. the club or something. It, it that is matter. risky. Bringing up football in Liverpool is dangerous because if you <laughs> talk about Everton to a Liverpool exactly. club... Exactly. I don't like... dare. I leave it to yeah, the exactly. experts. Yeah, exactly. We live into AF. Yeah, that's definitely... The supervised list is very cool. I remember doing those and administering the beta blockers and stuff and it you kind of feel like a real doctor again, which is... Yes, yeah, yeah. yes you, you do get to look at, at the ECG as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the like cardiac physiology. How much of that do you need to know? Well, you you do you do need to know, and you learn as well. In uh, when when practicing, um, I think it uh, it just comes with the, when learning the um, the subspecialty. Mm. You do need to remember something. So it's a it's a pump <laughs> with mm. tubes. So uh, yes, especially in congenital heart disease and, and everything really heart failure, heart disease adaptations and such. Yeah, it's, mm. it's quite dynamic, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an area in cardiac imaging that's your like subspecialty? Um, I think. Well, I have a few. I uh, um, I did research on cardiac protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, my PhD was a project on. Uh, I used advanced cardiac imaging to study a drug in um, treating myocardial infarction early. Mm. protecting the heart from uh, injury related to ischemia and reperfusion. So uh, ischemic heart disease became a a bit of my pet topic for a while. And uh, and it's very fascinating. It's very interesting. And um, I think this way of connecting the clinical knowledge to translational bench side of things Mm. uh, is quite interesting. So yes, that's one. And there are a few other things. I quite like structural heart disease as well. I like... uh, uh, to, to work with cardiac tumors as well. I think it's one of the challenging things to do and it, it gives a lot of benefit to the patients if we get it right. Um, different things, cardiomyopathy. <laughs> it's a, yeah, the, <laughs> that's what I meant about a single <laughs> coronary artery. <laughs> yeah, you have about five specialist interests. Yeah, yeah, there are multiple. There are multiple and it's, it's, one, it's the beauty of this field. It's just because it's so evolving so quickly. Similarly to neuro, I guess it's evolving so quickly um, mm. that uh, treatments are evolving or devices, and then we adapt, and then we not only imaging acquisition but also post processing or how we deal with things, how we show things. Mm. Um, I think it's quite fascinating. You can change your subspecialty specialty, specialty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, every six months if you want. <laughs> it's just that, yeah, there is scope for that. <laughs> So another thing that makes cardiac radiology unique is the close integration with cardiologists. They, you know, they like to get involved in the imaging side of things, perhaps more than other specialties. So how closely do you work with your cardiology colleagues? Well, that's such a such a pertinent question. I think it gets uh, it's a, a really common topic with the even year one registrars and and in conferences and thing. I, I think it's a great question. I think both specialties. You know, have specific backgrounds, and um, the way we work in the, in Liverpool Heart and Chest, I think, is quite exemplary. And I, I really like to show our example to people and to talk about it because I think it's um, it's something that could be followed in many other centers. Uh, we are trained and we are recruited to a level where we can cross cover each other, cardiologists mm. and radiologists. We on, on cardiac lists, there is nothing that a cardiologist does that I can't do, for example. Uh, just uh, you know, in general, general terms of that, and um, 
so that's a practical point of view also for MDTs. And then mingling together, rotating together, working together, we have uh, an atmosphere of collaboration. And that is very even palpable. It's 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 really good. Um, and um, I think patients uh, benefit very much from this. And I think the progress of the field also benefits very much from this. At the level of subspecialty work in cardiac imaging, it doesn't really matter. Uh, well, it does matter. Of course, you have to have the background. You have to have uh, training and such. But there is nothing a radiologist cannot do uh, mm -hmm. if they are trained uh, uh, appropriately for for the field um so i in our case our cardiology colleagues colleagues are just wonderful really a dream to work with and um and sometimes when i have new people around especially if they come from more toxic environments i often give them an example of uh, thinking that this is a relationship essentially uh just thinking of couples or, or families or friends so for it to work well both sides or or all sides have to commit to a daily effort and then you know grow and uh, and maintain that that good environment together and this is what what makes it really beneficial in the long run and and we have it so um, i think yeah. we, i think this is a, a real nice example so i think it's possible uh, to work and work well together it's interesting that you that you mentioned working collaboratively because it's it's one of those areas where I suppose the the traditional perspective is that it's considered a turf war, you know, like with mm. uh, IR and vascular, you know, mm -hmm. the, the cardiologists and, and radiologists for cardiac imaging. And you do hear about these instances of, of tension between radiologists and imaging cardiologists. So is that something that you've ever come across elsewhere? Yes, I have seen some Berlin walls <laughs> <laughs> in some places. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and I think it's um, also seeing other examples and other practices. It also shows you uh, what can be done differently. Mm. And in the end, even if there is a Berlin Wall, the individuals are actually collaborating somehow, mm. <laughs> passing those packages, or you know, channels, yeah. <laughs> you know, or talking uh, or something. So they find a way. Uh, I don't think there is any evidence that would support that a separation or a turf would benefit patient outcomes. It's the other way mm. around. Yeah. The centers that are successful are collaborative and uh, they are supportive for each other. So um, there is an institutional support. There is uh, also, well, it also depends, you know, where each individual is coming from. If they come from a toxic environment and if that's all they know, then it, it will take them a long time to adapt. Uh, and it can be difficult, but if there is a, you know, if there is a mood, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, something set as a standard, then they will adapt eventually. So it's, it's like a cultural thing. And I don't know yeah. who's sort of in charge of the hiring at the heart and chest, but I imagine that's something that's important for when you're bringing in new staff that they do sort of have that mindset of working together. Yes, I think it's, uh, well, it's very easy to, when the hires come from fellowships or, or mm. people who have been there, maybe a registrar uh, placement or something. So then it's, they know already. Mm. So in terms of like working together, um, uh, do you report the non-cardiac findings for the cardiologists in their scans or do they get competent at doing that themselves? So the way we have set, uh, set up in ours, we review the CT. 
uh, the lungs and extra cardiac, extravascular things for CT scans. So I do that for one of the cardiologists and uh, whoever needs. Uh, for MRI, we don't routinely, uh, and, but if there is any question, we have absolutely no problem reviewing, uh, adding an addendum or just helping out. And is that something that's pretty standard um, in centers that are providing these sort of services or or do you think that there's regional or national variation in how, how that's done? It depends on the um, accreditation uh, documentation. So um, in the UK, and in Europe, cardiologists practice when they uh, undergo a course, get a level one, level one, level two, level three um, of accreditation levels, and then it clearly says what they can do. Uh, it's okay. documented. So it depends on the local policies. On the, uh, so it's, it's somewhere in there in between. It can vary center per center, but uh, th- th- there are some countries where there are there is always a double read of everything together. Mm-hmm. So it varies in different countries, it varies. But in the UK, it's the, it tends to be the case that CT gets reviewed and MRI gets signed off. Because okay. just the sense, you know, the, um, the resolution is a little bit different for, say, lung nodules or mm-hmm. something like that. In terms of who does the um, lion's share of the reporting of cardiac imaging um, nationally, is it yeah. more radiologists or cardiac um, imaging cardiologists, or is there a lot of regional variation again? Yeah, there is a lot of regional variation and also variation regarding the modality. It could be one thing for MRI in one, in one region, another thing for CT. Uh, I tend to see more radiologists doing CT right away and mm. maybe then mm-hmm. they move on to MRI as well uh, in in the UK. But again, I don't have the exact number to, to say yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it varies. So mm. in, in, take London, it's one thing across all London, then, then another region, it's another thing. Okay, um, so, I mean, you're um, involved in lots of research about sort of um, cutting-edge um, imaging techniques. Um, and uh, because, um, so cardiac imaging is quite quantitative, does it lend itself to sort of um, the use of AI in it to sort of optimise the imaging um, and the interpretation and post-processing, as you said? Oh, yes, we already use it uh, daily. Uh, we use for cardiac MRI analysis for the vol- volumes. So those who worked 10 years ago <laughs> uh, already in this, they, there were lots of audiobooks you could listen if you were doing many cases in a row, just doing the volumes, <laughs> just doing the, the, you know, the technical analysis. <laughs> yeah. And nowadays, it's a bit, it, these, these things get solved and uh, made faster with, uh, with the use of deep learning and AI, and we have those tools. Um, so it's quite nice. Mm. Yes. Sadly, you can't listen to that many radios or podcasts. <laughs> but uh... yeah, I, I do remember you like drawing around um, the walls of oh, each yeah. slice. Yeah. yeah, each slice. Yeah. Yeah. So you in, in the novel softwares and modern softwares, um, at least in the leading uh, leading ones, you don't have. It's just a single click, and then you correct. Oh wow! Um, okay. So yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, we use it. And I think, yes, I, I think it's a field that definitely lends itself very well for biomarkers. And then, of mm. course, whenever we talk biomarkers, we talk about uh, quantification and um, good um, reproducibility. Um, this is where AI studies also may come in. It's uh, definitely, yes, very interesting. <laughs> so um, looking kind of around Europe now, you've, you've, you've got quite a lot of globetrotting on your CV. <laughs> 
Uh, so you've worked in Lisbon, <laughs> Barcelona, Brussels, London, and of course, Lithuania, which is where you're from. Um, yes. How have you managed to work in so many places? I thought it was so interesting. So I also studied in Italy when I was a med student. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) there is a this beautiful program called Erasmus Mm. Uh, okay yeah yeah RIP right no longer with us (laughs) well they are talking about uh, you know agreements to resuscitate Uh, the the relationship (laughs) so um, I had opportunities to apply and I was lucky to get places during that and also the program evolved over time so there were more types of it wasn't only studies it could be practical placements and then what they they also did they opened up for more um there was no limit of times how how many times you could go um and then there were other grants so i was i I really like to travel um i speak several languages and um, I think it's very, very interesting to go out and to just experience how things are in another place, uh, in another country. Uh, yeah, so I basically grabbed every, every opportunity I could. And wow. I used every grant and scholarship <laughs> that, <laughs> that came my way. I, I, you know, good yeah. use of that. Very good use. It's a great yes. way to see the world, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've got a friend who um, he's a MaxFax um, registrar and any like travel grant or fellowship opportunity yeah. he always applies for it and you'd be surprised how um like if you apply you often get it because a lot of people don't apply because they think they're not going to get it and then yes. you just get f- free money yeah. and free um, <laughs> free travel and yeah all yes yes and, and the support you get from you know from the coordinators and everything so the it's it's not going blind into you know nothingness <laughs> it's mm. uh it's a it's a it's a good way and i think when in uh, medical school and when in training it's it's a great time to do this because you don't yeah. you're not attached to a specific place yet and you can go and explore and and try different things and maybe you will discover your future specialty there who knows yeah i remember just before um covid i was um actually applying for an esaw exchange program mm-hmm. um and i think i wanted to go to a center in lisbon oh. and i had the application sort of written out and my supporting statement and it, i was very very actually pleased with the application and then, then they cancelled the whole program oh, that no. year. so yeah so, oh, shame. No. I, thought, I thought i had a decent chance of uh of, of yeah. winning it yeah. Well, the, there are there are other level um, there are multiple different uh, scholarships and fellowships in ESOR. So different levels. You could be a registrar. You could be a first years of consultant. You could be mm. a more advanced consultant. There are different ways. For some, you go to learn. For others, you maybe go to teach. Um, at there are research uh, fellowships. There are leadership and management uh, fellowships as well. So I think it's. Uh, it's definitely not a closed door for anyone who wants so, to. That's still hope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, when you were um, working in the centres, were a lot of them um, clinical posts? Like, in how many countries have you actually practiced radiology? Um, so, I when I was in specialty training, I went to yes to Barcelona to. Um, uh, Brussels and then to London and this is how I came back to the UK afterwards and then went to Liverpool so yes uh, UK was one of those (laughs) foreign countries in the beginning for a few (laughs) few months yes so several and then in foundation years I was a year in um, I was in Portugal it wasn't directly radiology but I was I spent some time in uh, with a professor who did ultrasounds of DVTs lots of DVTs 
<laughs> and so on, on your travels, have you observed any interesting cultural differences in how radiologists operate? Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I often think about it because the, we have visiting fellows as well. So they notice things and they, there, there are some themes around these things that we notice. So it resonates as well with my, with my travels and my experiences. So there are a few. Uh, one of them is uh, <laughs> quite superficial. So, um, you know, for example, UK doctors dress much more formally at work. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yes. In mm. Europe, it's completely normal to work in jeans and trainers. Okay. Because you... <laughs> <laughs> you wear a white coat on top of everything. So, uh, you a know, white coat with like... trainers? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. In Belgium, there was a UK radiologist with me in Belgium. He was in an NSK, and I think he was shocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is just really superficial. And um, of course, you scrub, uh, you change into scrubs uh, when you need to, uh, et cetera. Mm. But um, in, in many places, you just wear a white coat on, on top of your whatever you came to work with. Of course, maybe not joggers, but <laughs> jeans. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's one thing. And I think people get here. <laughs> it took me myself a while, a full month to realize that jeans were not exactly <laughs> yeah you get some looks you, you always get the odds of sort of uh at, um, outsider in the department um who will wear like yeah really casual clothing um but um i don't know how i feel about yeah. jeans and trainers jamie what are your thoughts yeah i don't know I wonder what the, I wonder what the patients think. I suppose if that's if that's what they're used to seeing, but I suppose exactly, if, yeah. If if it was changed, just... if there was like a change in policy or something in the UK, and and people just all started turning up in jeans and trainers, then patients yeah. might wonder when, when's the doctor turning up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I think nobody questions that. It's just it's just that normal, and it's been like mm. that. I don't know. All they see is a white coat, and here there yeah. are no white coats, so then it makes a difference. Mm. And the other thing that um, more specific to healthcare, I think in the UK, all healthcare is very much MDT and guideline oriented compared to some other countries. Not all, you know, there are mm. plenty of other countries that are like this in Europe, but the general feel is that especially here, the resources are more planned for this. So there is time to prepare for an MDT. There is time to present it or you know, attend the MDT for that matter. So I think that's just really, really positive. I really like this aspect here. Um, and there is another thing that our visitors uh, also notice, and I think often about it, and I think this is something that we can learn from the continent. Uh, coming here to the UK and realizing that there is no shared lunch break with your colleagues <laughs> yeah. is quite a shock for some. Uh, I think, I, I think you know, those 15, 20 minutes can be squeezed out somehow. And it's so beneficial to just sit down, have a meal and in a group. And we could, there are so many, you know, all around benefits for health, for the environment, for teamwork mm. and everything. So that's, I think, one of the major cultural things that people notice when they move here for short term or long term. Yeah, I'm very bad with that. I will admit that I often don't have a lunch break or I just eat at my desk. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't even sit down. I still yeah. stand up when I'm eating. Um, I don't know. You always <laughs> think that there's just there's always there's always work to do. So I feel like it's almost cheating to have lunch. I think, I think it's a it's a proper difference in lifestyles in the mm. continent and and here. Uh, it's not it's not limited to healthcare. Yeah. 
I'd be on board with uh, yeah shared lunches and siestas <laughs> if we can adopt that. <laughs> well, <laughs> frankly, I have to say it out loud. I have never seen a siesta at work in Spain. Only for holidays and only for places where it's really, really hot and there is no air right. conditioning. Um, <laughs> mm. So it's uh, it, it doesn't exist. No, it's sad, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that maybe allows them to have um, um, lunch breaks in on the continent is that they also have a lot more radiologists, don't they, per capita? You always see the uh, the grass where the UK is like, right at the bottom and hmm. like 10 times worse than like even Greece um so hmm. yeah maybe maybe there's that yeah there is a shortage now everywhere and it's growing yeah. like everywhere yes uh, yeah it's it's hard to say but equally other specialties don't have lunch so I don't think that's the case yeah, I think okay. it's just the first time I saw yeah, a, a triangular sandwich next to a computer <laughs> was not in the continent. I had, a colleague, I had a lovely colleague who was jokingly saying this is a conspiracy theory to, <laughs> to kill off all the doctors <laughs> with one bag of crisps at a time. <laughs> Death by meal deal, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, it's it's fine. Some these are really busy, and understandably, medicine is medicine, so it happens. Mm. <laughs> so, for any for any UK radiologists with the travel book, where is the best place to find out about radiology opportunities overseas? Um, I think big society websites, uh, and then it depends on on the subspecialty, on the field you are interested in. I would go towards that side. If it's general, that's general. Uh, if it's yeah, I, I would go for society websites and contacts, right. and I just, I think being proactive and asking people around. If you, you know, being at a conference, maybe you like some speaker. What, what you know, what they do in their center. There's nothing wrong in approaching them and asking if there are opportunities. Something like that, a combination okay. of you know online resources and um, and just talking to people. Yeah. Um. So you've mentioned that you have a PhD. Um. Are you like actively involved in research at the moment? Yes, I, I just finished a, a wonderful program at uh, the National Institute for Health and Care Research program in the region here in Northwest Coast. It's a, it was a two-year okay. program as well. So um, yes, I'm trying to keep that up because I think it's it's extremely interesting. It's a great time to to get involved into radiology research. Yes. Do you have um sort of dedicated time in your job and for research, or is it all? just trying to fit it in around your clinical stuff? So now for two years, I had time because of this program. I was funded for that. Um, it's ending now in the end of the year. <laughs> mm -hmm. So from January, I'm not sure how things will look like. It's not been decided yet. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the issues, one of the major issues in, in radiology in particular, why people don't do research. It's a bit sad mm -hmm. because um, there is a gap. Uh, there is probably you will agree if you think of any clinical if you think of clinical trials for that matter there's probably no clinical trial without any sort of imaging nowadays and there is data there are graphs uh, impressive graphs that uh, you know you can see how imaging use has been growing in clinical trials really really big time and um, also translational studies rely on imaging more and more nowadays CT, mm. MRI you know think of whatever 
everything. And uh, there is another fact that radiologists are interested in research. There is enough data, there, is enough, there are enough surveys to show that. And uh, even when you train people in, in early stages, you see that they are white, they are, you know, eyes light up. And this is interesting, mm. this is good. But uh, then there is a gap between this and the recognition and the resources and support in institutions. So um, I think it's um, it's a bit of a problem. And also in the NIHR system, there are 31 clinical specialties and radiology is not one of them. What? Oh, wow. Yeah, if you, if you look up, if you open up the website, uh, you will see that there are different specialties, 31. And it's not part of it. There is a, another website, but it's not part of the specialty list as such. Wow. And in a recent RCR census, only 2% of consultants, uh, radiologists, had some research time. So it doesn't say how, whether it's an hour or a day or two days. So only 2% of, across the whole country. Mm, so yeah. then you know, I think these facts talk volumes and um, it's all too common to see the habit of you know focusing of three six month uh, clinical targets or finance targets and not including research and innovation uh, mm. into long-term vision and plan and um, so i that's why i think in some places research is an orphan radiologists want to do research are a bit like you know it's a mm. <laughs> labor of love and uh, conversely i think those places that recognize academic work are the ones that are growing and are going to yeah. to get better and the patient outcomes are going to it's there's no doubt in that there is uh, plenty of data showing that so um i think it's not as dark as as <laughs> it may yeah. seem now while i'm saying this i think it's now it's rcr has been doing a lot of advocacy works and some dedicated very vocal colleagues that are also speaking out so i think it will shift and uh, now mm. it's a really good time to train and to get involved are you trying to promote a, a culture of, of research then in, in mm -hmm. Heart and Chest Hospital where you work? Yes, yeah, yeah, where Are I can, yes. Encouraging the uh, the fellows and, and the registrars to get involved? Yes, uh, sometimes it's um, not exactly a research, maybe it's an audit project for that matter, but you can, you know, that, depending on the question you, you ask, you have different methods and uh, you can maybe evaluate the surveys or something, and it still gives you those skills and, and uh, mm. a bit of horizon view. Um, yes, I think it's very valuable, and it, it's probably one of those skills that future radiologists should have. And it's one of those things that will make us different from any purely quantitative <laughs> approaches like AI <laughs> and, and things like that. It, I think it's uh, yes, have to offer deal. more. Yes, offer mm -hmm. more than drawing circles around ventricles. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, well, you may have to draw some circles when doing research. But <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. Um, so, what were you doing with the NIHR? Like, what did you have a single research project or? Uh, it's a program to develop investigators, uh, whether clinical or principal investigators. So, uh, the structure is that they give um, a day of uh, jointly with the institution. They give a day of research a week, um, and then they also organize monthly uh, sessions on different things, maybe team building or leadership mm. or um, pitching or uh, being filmed when pitching <laughs> or, you know, a Dragon's Den approach, all these mm. different things. And you have a group, you have a support group, you have a mentor, you have all these things. So it's a lot of, it's not about a specific project, although you are really encouraged to develop your projects, you have to pitch them, etc. But it's also this training they give 
throw into you and you just absorb everything <laughs> the way you can it's like a sort of incubator program yes mm. yes yeah. and it's, it's really we had a writing retreat for a few oh. days <laughs> at, a, at oh, a residential library yes so just to disconnect it was uh, close to um, Chester. There's William Gladstone's uh, library. Oh. It's a beautiful place. Uh, it's residential, so you can you know, spend the weekend there and spend the evenings in the library in your slippers. <laughs> 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 and it, it's an inspiring place to sit down and write something. Is that where you wrote your poem that was in the uh, RCR newsletter? <laughs> no, no, actually not. But that was during COVID. I'm not sure if it was one of the lockdowns or not. Okay. But it was one of the RCR initiatives to beat uh, burnout and stress with creative activities. And it was a really nice workshop. Um, there were a few workshops on the topic. Right. And uh, we're doing that. So, yes, this was... Um, an improvised poem uh, during one of those workshops. <laughs> Very good to my completely untrained uh, eye. Yeah, it's a good poem. Um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, December two thousand twenty, I think. Issue. <laughs> What's it? I, I, I thought I read one more recently, but uh, I actually know. No, yeah, it will. It will be that one. Yeah, I'm losing track of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you still um, editor, advisory editor of Clinical Radiology? Is that something yes. you still do? Yes, yes, what, yes. Sir. What does that involve? Um, so that's, that involves getting, uh, it, it's very practical. You get uh, papers sent over from the deputy editor or sometimes from the chief editor. Um, and uh, you try and do your absolute best in selecting the best reviewer experts. Uh, of course, you assess the paper first and then give a bit of critical appraisal yourself first. And then select reviewers and um, basically manage, handle that paper until the end decision, whether you reject right. it or you accept it or you need revisions and things like that. So it's more like it's kind of handling the paper and also critical appraisal of, of each paper. Yeah, so I, I cover the cardiac part for that, uh, among is, others. And we are a, a, a group. Yes. Is that um, is that a lot of work? Um it's not daunting. It's not uh, well. It's a voluntary position, right. um, and we are a group, so we share the papers. It's not a lot, but uh, it's increasing. So we can right. see that the interest in cardiac research is increasing because we have mm. a, at least I see more papers over time. It, it, that it reminds me of an unsuccessful foray into academia that I had as a senior reg. Um, I reached out to someone who's who was involved in the head and neck eye refer guidelines and just mm -hmm. wanted to like offer to help um, to get something on the CV. And he he was very receptive to me because I, I seemed keen. So he sent me <laughs> a couple of papers to review on I think it was like AI and uh, thyroid eye disease. And um, I sent him back my sort of critical appraisal of the of the paper, and I think it was so bad that he didn't he didn't get back to me basically. So I know, I know my, my talents don't lie in. I would like to think or... that he was just busy and got all these interactions yeah. while reporting and getting a forgot. You're, yeah, you're obviously an optimist. I'm a pessimist, so I just assume that he read it and thought I'm not going to waste my time with this guy. I think that's that's safe to, no. safe to no, assume. No, no, it should. You know, I'm sure that there was some some sort of a communication <laughs> issue there. <laughs> it's not, it's not a no, and it's something that I encourage people, you know, to learn and do because even just doing a few gives you 
that's the whole reason I got into into this uh, editing uh, work. I started in another journal. I started peer reviewing first, and then I was an editor in one of the journals of the European Heart Journal Group. And um, I wanted to see how the kitchen works mm. so that I know what to do when I'm submitting mine, when I'm preparing my papers, ah, okay. what, what the publishing yeah. involves, how this all functions. So that was my my interest, and also I also wanted to see what other people are doing, and I was just you know, and there is also this participation in the big thing of research that you know gives gives you that feeling, but um, but one of the main things is actually just to understand the other side, and then when you submit your paper, it's different. Mm. You know what not to do, uh, you know what uh, what to pay attention to. You know that uh, uh, language proof is so important. <laughs> Because mm. for the you know wonderful paper that you may send, if the language is just is full of errors, uh, punctuation errors, orthography, whatever, you won't pass. You know, <laughs> your attention to detail maybe it's not as great. <laughs> mm, mm, so, yeah, yeah. So all these you know small things that you wouldn't think right away, um, you you get while while doing this work. So um, and then of course the critical appraisal, so that sharpens your skills and your thinking about other studies as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a skill as an academic writing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you're you're also a, a visiting lecturer at the Lithuanian University of Health Sciences. Yeah. Uh, so from all your traveling, is it nice to be able to sort of use your platform and, and go back to your roots? Oh, it was very nice. It was a uh, one week uh, of a visiting um, lectureship, uh, a project itself. So it was a grant I applied for it and then got this uh, <laughs> funding for a week. It was a little bit. Um, uh, it was this going back to the roots, going to your you know, home place and going to work every day <laughs> essentially uh, uh, it was interesting but then it's connecting to people that i i know uh, it was beautiful and just chatting to all these people and uh, we had you know some medical students were attending the lectures and then the university oh, i like radiology uh it's it's very rewarding i think it's um i like it very much uh, mm. this this type of work and um some call it giving back. I quite like to twist it a little bit. I don't think of giving back. I don't think of, you know, moving favors back and forth. <laughs> if somebody did, you know, something for me, I would just do something back. I like the other thing much more. It's a paid forward principle. It links very much to this beautiful, beautiful uh, tradition in Naples, in Italy, the suspended coffee. You would go into a bar to have a coffee in Naples, and now it's uh, widespread elsewhere as well. And uh, you may have, you know, your coffee, pay for your coffee, but you may choose to pay for an extra coffee and just leave it hanging. And literally, with the, they, just, they would just hang your, you know, your receipt there. And right. it's a suspended coffee for somebody in need who that maybe doesn't have the money on the day, but they would you know, like a coffee. Mm. And it's uh, it was practical thing. So I see it this way as well. If I was mentored well or supported well by someone, that someone mm. doesn't really probably expect any favor back. It's much better if I just, you know, do the same thing for whoever is interested, whoever is, has the spark for radiology for that matter or research or something. And then this the whole thing expands and makes this kind approach. And uh, it's just the beauty of it. I think it's, it doesn't have any value that you can measure, but it's what makes places tick and teams tick in the end. It's, uh, I see it this way. So, yeah, great mentality. Yeah, definitely. It's also very beneficial to us. 
if we do this. There is a lot of uh, neuroscience research that supports that. There is a hidden brain episode on this. If we mm -hmm. do something for others, the reward is much higher for us than comparing to going and buying something or, or having an experience or so, like bungee jumping or something. Uh, doing something kind to others, the, the benefit for happiness, benefit for us is long lasting. I was literally listening to a um, podcast yesterday where they mentioned that, that we get a lot more satisfaction from doing good deeds for others than mm. buying stuff yeah. ourselves. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, this that. is how our brains are wired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, before we finish, um, do you have any advice for trainees that want to um, pursue cardiothoracic imaging, um, particularly like the advanced cardiac stuff? Um, I would say be proactive. Just um, if this field is already interesting, I think it's very important to find those like-minded individuals who can uh, share the drive and uh, and then it's sustainable as well long-term and it's it's very interesting. So being proactive, finding the people, the mentors, also being ready to be a good mentee <laughs> because it's mm -hmm. a two-way relationship. Uh, going to places, fellowships, visiting uh, scholarships and things like that. I think it's a great time to be a cardiothoracic radiologist now. Uh, the service is growing, the need is growing and, uh, and there are plenty of places to train and those places are also increasing in, in number and in size. I think it's a really, really good time. Uh, if we're thinking of that, you know, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> we, I can, you know, plug in. We do also have a fellowship. <laughs> oh, nice. That was nice. going to be the next question. Are there any fellowships <laughs> that you would recommend? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we are ours. <laughs> <laughs> No, there are many. There are many. It depends on the interest and uh, the specific field. Ours is a cardiothoracic fellowship, a clinical one. Uh, mm. We have two posts every year. And, uh, and then there are many other places as well that offer that. I, I would say if, if thinking about it, it's best to contact early just to know about the timings, when the advertisements are announced, uh, when to expect, uh, you know, because places have their order when they hire, when they start the programs. Mm. Um, and also, it's it's also nice to go and meet the people, know the place. Maybe you have mm. you have the feeling there, maybe you don't. <laughs> these, mm. these things matter as well. So yes, I think being proactive and working towards that, and it's the key thing for a successful fellowship later on. For like um, foundation trainees, are there any sort of training schemes that you know that are particularly good for cardiothoracic imaging, where they'll get a lot a lot of exposure? Um. You mean nationally? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and I think they are growing. Mm -hmm. So obviously there are places in the south, uh, Southampton, uh, Bristol, uh, there are places in London, uh, then there's Manchester as well in here, then there's Scotland. Uh, I think they are growing uh, and people are coming in, new people are coming in, they are starting the training service or improving the existing training offer. Um, I think there are many. Um, yeah, if one has an early interest, again, I think it's important to contact, to connect the network and get, mm. get your head around a bit, or just to reach out to people who, you know, most, most of the time if people are busy, but they may actually respond to an email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even that. yeah. 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 It's, it's okay. It's nothing, not, nobody will see if, uh, you know, so it's great to see other people coming in, I think. 
Well, great. I think um, you've given um, a very enthusiastic and optimistic <laughs> um, portrayal of cardiothoracic imaging, as expected. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, best of luck with um, all of your clinical and academic pursuits going forwards. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure really speaking to you. And, yes, it is optimistic. It's not just me. <laughs> Great. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can catch all of our previous episodes on the usual podcast platforms and at anchor.fm forward slash Radcast. And for more updates, check out our social media channels so you can find us at Radcast Academy on Twitter and Instagram. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.